0: Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes if you can give it to me. We're going to go around the world. We're going to talk with our broadcast partners. They're going to give us information, details about current events, what's happening in their region of the world that may be key in understanding the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. So glad you could join us today. And of course, the theme of this entire 90 minutes is going to be, ultimately, in just a few moments it could happen, the rapture of the church could take place. Now, we do believe that could happen at any moment, even during the broadcast. We want you to have that as the main central theme of your existence. That's our blessed hope and our glorious appearance. So That's our purpose, our ministry right here on this broadcast prophecy today. Again, thank you for joining us. And if you want some time should the rapture not take place during the broadcast and you have an opportunity to spend some study of the prophetic word of God, be sure that you remember to go to my YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is available with lots of teaching information about prophetic truth That we've given over the many years we've been accumulating all of this material. That address, youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. Well, let's get right to our broadcast partners. The first one is located in southern France. It's Ken Timmerman. And Ken, I know that you've been out in the field there in your little farm working on the everyday activities of a farmer while you're there kind of confined to France because of the government, but also you've been working on your latest book, The Election Heist, and I understand you finished it up. It's going to be made available to the public, I think, sometime in August, but uh, there's some pre-order opportunities now at Amazon.com, am I correct?
1: Uh, that's right, Jimmy. You can uh, find the book there or go to my website, com. Uh, I'm calling this an entertainment, uh, taking a term from Graham Greene, one of my favorite authors from the from the last century, because the aim, of course, is to entertain people while you are giving them information and telling them a story. And in this case, the story is about power and the things that American politicians will do to acquire it, including stealing elections. So this is about stealing the elections of 2020, uh, how our election systems are vulnerable to theft and to electronic hacking. And it's all done in a fictional scenario where I tell you the story through a pair of politicians who are exact opposites of one another. <laughs> and I think you'll have a lot of fun reading the book. I had a lot of fun writing it, and uh, it uh, will scare the living
2: daylights out of you.
0: Okay, now either go to Ken or Amazon, the name of the book, The Election Heist, and you can pre-order it now. That'd be a good read while you have some time to read. Well, let's get to Ken now in the geopolitical activities happening around the world that he has great insight into. Ken, what about Iran's supreme leader? He is actually uh, praising the imam, the one who's the Mahdi, the coming Messiah for the Islamic people, especially the Iranians, for the power that he has had to be able to help them to this time of the coronavirus. Now, I'm not sure that he's telling all the truth this may be some fake news what do you know
1: well of course i think you are of course right and what i find very interesting and ironic about the iranian regime is that the longer they stay in power the less influence their radical interpretation of shiite islam seems to have on the iranian people and the more skeptical people become in iran of the leadership and of its spiritual authority The government has been clearly incompetent in dealing with the coronavirus during the first three to four weeks of the outbreak they were encouraging people to stay together in public places to go to the shrines in home a sacred city to the regime and to lick the shrines in public and you would have youtube videos of leaders doing this during the outbreak of the virus and then lo and behold things get worse more people get taken to hospitals and die and they start scratching their heads and wondering what's going on so now they've got a good solution to this is that they'll say The pandemic is dying down in Iran because the 12th imam has intervened. Well, I'm not sure they're getting a lot of traction with that with the Iranian public.
0: Yes, that eschatology is not going to fly, as they say. But the word of God, which we talk about here on Prophecy Today, is absolute biblical eschatology. I'll give you a better look into all of this when we take a look at the book at the end of the broadcast. Ken, you're there in southern France. I understand the president of France, Macron, has made a call to Rouhani, who is the president of Iran, and wants Iran to respect the nuclear obligations uh, that they set in place. Uh, This doesn't sound like this is the time to make this happen, does it?
1: Well, Macron has been uh, one of a handful of leaders desperately trying to undo the policies of President Trump when he got rid of the bad Iran deal, Macron and the French government helped to negotiate the deal. Macron was not personally involved in it because he was not president at the time, but he has embraced it wholeheartedly. And the French are trying to help the Iranian government get out from under the U.S. sanctions, which have crippled the economy, and they're using the pandemic as an excuse. They say, well, you know, in this time of a health crisis, a worldwide emergency, we have to reduce the sanctions and to do that Iran has to obviously have to has to live up to the commitments it made under the bad Iran deal. Well, the Iranians said, "No, we're not going to live up those commitments. We're installing new generations of centrifuges this very week in fact." And oh, when the United States actually offered humanitarian aid as the president did earlier this week, the Iranians said, "Well, we don't need it from America." <laughs> so, uh, this is all just a subterfuge, a way to try to weaken President Trump's negotiating position towards Iran, and it's uh, also trying to deflect the French public from their growing criticism of Macron for his handling of the health crisis here.
0: Ken, I know last week we talked about the possibility of a war emanating out of Iran. Today is another day, about seven days later, actually. What's the real possibility of a war with Iran during this global pandemic?
1: Well, that's really a hard one to call, because just as a revolution in Iran, the spark could happen at any moment, and we don't really know what it is. But here is a a key... Point of, of confrontation between the United States and Iran, and it's in Iraq where we have troops on the ground. The Iranians have attacked us in the past. We have retaliated for those Iranian attacks, in particular, by taking out the head of the cut Force, Qasem Soleimani, on January third. Well, just this past week, the Iranian regime sent the successor Soleimani, uh, General Ghani, to Iraq, hoping that he could play godfather to iraqi shiite politicians just as qasem soleimani had done he went there to broker a deal against the new prime minister designate. he wanted to get all the shiite groups all the shiite politicians to oppose this man's Zarbi because he was a so-called u.s intelligence puppet and his mission was a total failure uh, ayatollah sistani who is the acknowledged leader of the religious shiite community in iraq refused to even meet with him, whereas he had met with Iranian emissaries many times before. Even Muqtada Sadr, who many people have called an Iranian puppet, although I, I think that is inaccurate, Muqtada Sadr refused to meet with General Ghani. So that is a confrontation point, and ironically, or however you want to say, ironically, the, the tensions between the U.S. and Iran there are actually going down because of the incompetence of Iranian leadership.
0: Well, that's a very interesting development there with the Iraqis. And of course, Iraq is what we know as biblical Babylon when you think about the end time scenario of God's word. So we'll stay on top of that story with Ken of Self. Ken, what about China? Looks like a growing relationship with Russia. What's going on there?
1: Well, that's a very significant development. It's been building for a couple of years now. We have talked about this, but most recently you see that the Chinese have helped the Russians build a new Siberian gas delivery system so they can sell natural gas to China. Why is this important? Because uh, the United States is trying to limit Russia's gas deliveries to Europe as part of the sanctions on Russia. So Russia and China have expanded pretty dramatically their uh, economic and strategic cooperation over the past couple of years. Putin has stated openly that he will not stand in the way of China's growing world power of China's thirst to be the hegemon of the world, and in exchange, the Chinese have been supportive of Russia, for example, Russia's uh, Ukraine occupation. They haven't gotten in the way of that. So you have these two major powers um, who, remember, they were both communists for many, many decades. They have been rivals. They have been allies. Now it seems they are once again allies against United States. This is an alliance which is directed against the United States. Both leaders acknowledge it, and thankfully we have a president in the United States who understands it as well. For the first time, Donald Trump, the president, has understood the goal of the Chinese Communist Party and of their leadership, which is to replace America as the world's dominant power.
0: One of the reasons we have Ken Timmerman come to this broadcast table is to help us understand the geopolitical events happening. He's just been talking about Russia and China. Russia is going to be a major player beginning of the tribulation period, China at the end. And that's what we'll tell you about when we take a look at the book. All key information coming from Ken Timmerman. Ken, thank you so very much. I, I want to tell everybody the Election Heist, the name of Ken's newest novel. You can pre order it now at kentimmerman.com or amazon.com, either one. Hey, Ken, thank you so very much for a great report. Stay well, my good friend. We'll talk again next week.
1: Thanks so much, Jimmy, and have a blessed Easter. God bless.
0: Thank you, sir. You too. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we've got David Dolan standing by. He's going to give us a Middle East news update. You need to hear this report as well. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
3: Christians in the Last Days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com.
0: on the website, if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com.
3: And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. My Prophecy Moment may be an opportunity for you to take a short period of time, maybe five or ten minutes, to study Bible prophecy. It's one-third of the entire Bible, and My Prophecy Moment is available on my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. Go there, and you can uh, be able to watch my prophecy moment, we have a number of them on there, putting them up almost on a daily basis. We'd love for you to study them. We did one on the Passover and how Jesus fulfilled all of those feasts, the first of the seven Jewish feasts, crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, resurrected on first-fruits. He'll fulfil the last three feasts in the fall period of time as well. Uh, that's available on my Prophecy Moment. Well, let's, as I promised, get right to David Dolan. He's the man, a journalist in the Middle East for over 30 years, knows what's going on in that region of the world. That's why we, on a weekly basis, go to him for the latest information we need. Now, This is Holy Week, Dave, in Jerusalem, Passover beginning on Wednesday evening, and of course, Resurrection Sunday would be the time that the Christians mark the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's totally different this year, isn't it?
4: Very, very different, Jimmy. And, of course, we knew it would be with all the closures that were ordered in Israel over the last few weeks. The number of cases in Israel surged past 10,000 on Friday, with nearly 100 dead. And, Jimmy, nearly 3,000 soldiers are in isolation So they didn't have any sort of family Passover. And in fact, the government ordered people to stay away from family gatherings. They actually closed down uh, the roads between cities. You couldn't travel outside of cities. But there was a great deal of controversy because the prime minister had just his wife, but also two sons were there. Well, one son lives with them. The other does not. And he traveled to get to their home and appeared on television with them, and there was a big controversy over that. And the president, Ruby Rivlin, and his wife hosted their daughter, who doesn't live with them. So they they broke those rules, which has created quite a controversy, but very sedate, no public gatherings. Now, some of the synagogues, people did show up against the orders, especially in some of the ultra-Orthodox areas, and there was a lot of controversy over that. There's been a great deal of press coverage of uh, Orthodox Jews and how they're responding to this ultra-Orthodox Haredim in particular, and a lot of negative press, but they did, and uh, we may see some, you know, further surges of cases as a result of those synagogues that did allow people to uh, come in and and gather. The police tried to break up some of those things. It it was a very unusual situation, Jimmy. Here you have the Israeli police, um, almost all of them Jews, uh, roadblocking cities, not allowing people to travel to family satyrs, not allowing congregations to open, and they actually divided Jerusalem up into seven districts, Jimmy, and they weren't allowing people to travel even between one area to another, and that was, frankly, to isolate uh, the several ultra-Orthodox neighborhoods in Jerusalem from other parts of the city, because in those neighborhoods, the the rate of infection is much, much higher And again, that was very controversial, so not at all a normal Friday, Good Friday, Via Della Rosa, empty, nobody, hardly there, a few people, but, you know, not the parades, uh processions with the carrying the crosses, and then, of course, going into the churches, the doors to the Holy Sepulcher Church are shut, the doors in Bethlehem to the Nativity Church are shut, so there's no possibility of getting into those places, no tourists, in those areas so very very uh different than a normal one that nobody really has seen in their lifetime even in wars wartime and other troubles that have occurred over the years there's never been anything quite like this for uh passover and for holy week
0: yes and holy week a special time because passover is one of those pilgrim feast days when they have a priestly blessing pronounced upon all the people there at the Western Wall Plaza. There's been upwards of 100,000 Jewish worshipers there for those priestly blessings. I understand it was limited this year, and what they did is they broadcasted online, but still they held the priestly blessings. That's interesting.
4: They did, and you know, like everything, they're trying to keep as much normalcy together as they can. And uh, therefore, there was a broadcast seder on Wednesday night, including the prime minister at his home. And they, one of the networks went from different scenes to different uh, seder's in progress, but a very different situation, Jimmy. And I want to say the the Western Wall and other things. You know, they're they're doing as much online activity as they can in every area. But there's only so much you can do. But, Jimmy, they've announced that they're putting up uh, almost overnight two military bases, two new military outposts uh, right along the Jordan River. We talked about that last week, uh, whether that would be annexed or not. The prime minister wants to annex it to Israel. But there's already some military installations down there, even though it's not formally Israeli territory. They're adding two, and they're putting them up overnight so that these nearly 3,000 soldiers who are in isolation because they've been exposed to the virus, not all of them have it, but some of them do. They're young. Most of them are okay, but they're going to put them in these new bases uh, basically this weekend. So (laughs) the whole situation is very, very weird, very odd. And, of course, many people are most concerned about the 25% unemployment rate that now uh, transpires and jimmy many of these are jobs that they're just not going to quickly come back at all especially in the very very vital tourist industry how soon will people be getting on airplanes again they watch in israel the governor of new york has become a popular daily uh show on the carried on the cable news channels in israel and a lot of Israelis, of course, understand English and they've been following him and he's been warning that, you know, there could be waves of this virus that just like the 1918-19 Spanish flu came in several waves, about three of them actually, that that could happen. So, you know, will people be planning trips to Israel? Will the tourists be coming? Will the hotels be open? Uh, all of this. So uh, there's a real concern here because of course Israel's already financially strapped and uh, has to continue to prepare for a possible war with Iran. In fact, they, they pretty much expect there's going to be trouble this year, a uh, further trouble with Iran, further activity in Lebanon and Syria and all of that. So, uh, it, it's a real dire situation and, uh, one that very few people expected, that's for sure.
0: Of course, they have to be on the alert, circumspect, about how they deal with the Iranian threat to the Jewish state. But at the same time, Hamas, which is located there in the Gaza Strip, the southwestern corner of the state of Israel, there on the coastline, Hamas is threatening to suffocate 6 million Jews if indeed the Palestinians should acquire this coronavirus. Boy, that's a pretty tough threat.
4: Well, and there are cases in both Gaza and certainly in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, Bethlehem area in particular. There are cases. The European Union announced that it's giving over 90 million euros to uh, the Palestinians to help them uh, in the situation. But, yes, Hamas continues to talk about Israel's destruction, as Iran does, as Hezbollah does, and these other parties that, as we know, with the Shiites at least, see this as part of the end-time struggle, of which Islam will come out on top, (laughs) basically, to summarize what they believe, and uh, that this may be another tool in destroying Israel. And uh, again, it is economically a huge impact, like it is all over the world. I mean, the Israelis are aware that they're not alone, and the prime minister has taken some of the toughest measures, Jimmy, of any leader on earth in terms of trying to quell this. Very few places have had cities, apart from China, actually, and a couple in South Korea and a couple other places, actually quarantined whole cities, cut off by law, by force of police. But that's what they've been doing to try to keep this down, because, of course, they know that the Israelis have quite a large elderly population, and they know that they're very, very vulnerable. There's a lot of people with other uh, conditions. There's a lot of diabetes. The other things we see In westernized countries, especially there, they would be looking at hundreds of thousands of casualties, possibly, if they didn't clamp down. But they are easing restrictions, Jimmy, somewhat. Uh, They're allowing travel between the towns as of Sunday, and they're going to discuss further easing. Uh, It's starting to level off a little bit, but the death toll like it is in the States is still rising and will probably continue to rise for uh, a few weeks at least.
0: And we weren't able to have enough time to get to the fact that uh, Benny Gantz, who is the leader of the opposition political party, and Benjamin Netanyahu, head of Likud, and the caretaking prime minister today are going to get together and see if they can form that coalition emergency unity government. We'll talk more about that next week it should come together by the time David and I get together. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us, he's been doing it for over 30 years, and he helps us to understand all that's happening in that very key region of our world. David, stay well, my good friend, and we'll have another conversation next week. You as well, Jimmy, and
4: he is risen, he's risen indeed.
0: Amen, hallelujah, glory to God. We're going to take a break. When we come back, John Rood's standing by. He's going to give us his European Union
3: update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our next half hour. Remember, it's 90 minutes each and every week I need, so my broadcast partners can come to the broadcast table and give you information, details on current events happening around this world that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. One of the key regions of the world, as we focus on Bible prophecy, would be the European Union, which I believe, and I do believe, our broadcast partner John Rood thinks is the infrastructure, at least, for the revived Roman Empire. So we go on a weekly basis to John to get the latest details happening out of that part of the world John, it looks like the European Union finally coming together, agreeing on a 500 billion pound coronavirus rescue package. Talk to us about that. Looks like they're trying to help each other out now.
5: Well, Europe has been very divided on the issue. Italy first uh, asked for assistance from the European Central Bank and they were denied. And because of the inefficiency And the refusals to work together, of course, the European Union, the whole idea is to have a unified uh, system where each country benefits each other. The Italian prime minister came out and warned, saying that the EU is very existence is under threat if the EU cannot come together and combat the pandemic. Well, finally, there's some assistance that's come through, 500 billion euros. It has begun And then again, this is really sort of an existential crisis. There were talks to do bonds that would be international vehicles for debt, corona bonds, but that's been taken down. So altogether, Europe's total fiscal response to the pandemic is $3.5 trillion. So they have taken a step up, but the underlying atmosphere of division appears to be nearly unchanged.
0: John, I do believe I mentioned those were pounds, but you're correct. They are euros. However, that then brings to my attention the possibility, the looming collapse of the European single currency, the euro. What do you know about that?
5: And it's just in this last week that these things have come to the forefront. Europe has uh, weathered some very severe uh, crises through the years. The euro was, you know, Milton Freeman, who was the leading U.S. economist, he gave the euro just a 10 year existence, is what he thought, and yet it's gone a bit longer than that. But it's under enormous pressures. Spain has committed 20% of their GDP to fight the virus, and when they're asked where this money's going to come from, they say it's just going to come from the financial help of Europe. France is seeing now the worst economic situation since 1945 and 2008. And so they're expecting for a a very serious recession. And it's very possible that all of Europe uh, goes into a depression over this. Well, that puts pressure on the euro currency, which is used in what we call the eurozone, which is 19 of the 27 member nations that are in the EU right now. So the world is looking outside into Europe and seeing that this is really an economic earthquake that's happening. The next step is that several of these large European economies are going to require bailouts and assistance. It's going to be several times bigger than anything that Europe has ever seen. The central bank uh, banks, really the central banks of the world are out of bullets, so to speak, because now they're using negative interest rates and they're printing money until there's no more trees. So what's going to happen, even though we can overcome in the short term some of the economic situation concerning the virus and pandemic, uh, it's setting up for even a greater fall in the future because of the intense debt situation, and the euro is under extreme pressure from that.
0: And John, that fall that you're talking about, could it be the European dream be the next victim for the coronavirus?
5: Exactly. Not not only do we have the threat right now on European unity, we have the effect that that can cause economically as well. But then we have the idea of entire European project, the European dream, as you say, has not been efficient. The countries are not working together. The first countries that came in to give aid uh, to Italy were, were China and Cuba, and so. There's attitudes that are going to be very persistent about this, because Europe was very slow to react. There was a quote, this was from the director of the European Council on Foreign Relations, now is the time to see what European solidarity is worth, and not just financially. The coming weeks will play a big role in determining the future of the European Union. So this this is very startling talk. This has come just in a few weeks out of nowhere to to the top priority the entire european project is at stake
0: however john and i both have read the word of god the book of daniel chapters 2 and 7 and revelation chapter 17 talk about a revived roman empire John, we know the last chapter, it's going to be an absolute. There will be a revived Roman Empire, whether it's through the European Union or not, correct?
5: Absolutely. And so we see the hints of what, as you mentioned, Daniel 2, the ten toes, Daniel 7, the ten horns, Revelation 13, the ten horns, uh, Revelation 17, ten heads, ten horns. And so, yes, we are seeing the beginnings of what is the final formation of these nations.
0: And that's the reason we bring John Rood to these microphones to keep us abreast of what's happening politically, but we understand prophetically absolutely what will take place. John, thank you so very much, my good friend. Hey, buddy, stay well, and uh, we'll talk again next week.
5: Yes, and for you all, too, and all listeners.
0: Very interesting conversation and update on the European Union from John Rood. Looking at this very important region of the world, it helps us to understand how a prophetic scenario coming together, the revival of the Roman Empire, is going to take place. And that could be, we're hoping and praying, not in the too distant future, because the rapture of the church would take place before that does happen. Well, I'm going to welcome right now to these microphones here at broadcast central for Prophecy Today. Dr. Elwood McQuaid, longtime friend, I mean 20, 30 years that he and I have known each other and been partners in ministry together. Dr. McQuaid was the head at one time of the Friends of Israel organization. He headed up their magazine, Israel My Glory, And he has done so many things. He's written a number of books. He's just a a true Christian statesman. We're honored to have him on the broadcast. And I thought, Elwood, what I wanted to do, I want to have you on, and we want to talk about the Jew. And then I'm going to have Dr. Don DeYoung join me here at the broadcast table. And I want to talk about the stars. I know that uh, even in these times when we do have the hope of the rapture of the church, and so many other things from God's Word provisioned for us in these troublesome times. Sometimes we can let our minds wander. and when I look up at the stars, when I think about the Jewish people, always brings me back to the Word of God and to God's promises. Now, I know in addition to all that you have written, you've written a book entitled It Is No Dream. Let me talk about the Jew with you, if you will, just kind of having a friendly, across-the-fence type of a conversation. Why did God, in your opinion, and after many years of study, why did God choose the Jewish people?
2: You know, that's a marvelous question, and one that's the best we can do is answer it in Scripture. He said that these were not the Most numerous people on the earth. They weren't the wisest people on the earth. They weren't the most honorable people on the earth. But he says this, Jimmy I loved them and I chose them. In his grace, in his sovereign will, he chose the Jewish people to be singularly a witness to the world and the eye on the future and the things to come. Also, he caused us, and we've discussed this uh, recently, he caused us to look up. You talk about the stars. Look up. With all the trouble that's going on now, I took a ride out in the country, here in Virginia where I live, and I marveled at God's wonderful provision for us in carpeting this city with green, with spring. And when we read the Psalms, I've been reading the Psalms about the glory of God, about the heavens, about his handiwork. And when we look out, we must see him, thank God, through the Jewish people. We have the provision to do that. When God said, you're going to be my witnesses, Isaiah 43, you're going to be my witnesses he talks about a light to the nations, look to Israel. That's the light.
0: And 4,000 years of this history is recorded in the Bible itself, so people can spend time reading God's Word from Genesis to Revelation and recognize how he has loved these people, protected these Jewish people, and set them in a special place. And now he has set them a wood into a land. Not only in years past have they been a witness to the world, but now they stand out to all the world of the fact that God has put them now back into the land that He chose to give them, and that land forever.
2: Yes, you know, Jimmy, this is such a strategic moment in history. You mentioned, and and this has been preached for hundreds of years that the center of Gentile activity in the end times last days will be the Antichrist ruling from Europe and the world going to that place to find the power of the nations. Okay, but in your day and my day, your time, my time, God has brought these people uniquely into their land, given thousands and thousands of years ago, a land in their hearts. Last night was the Seder for the Passover. Over all the world, in numerous languages, as many as you can mention, next year in Jerusalem was the close of that prayer. Today they're in Jerusalem. Now, a footnote to that, and a very important one, is that with the rise of anti-Semitism across the face of the earth, and the hatred of the Jew that is reemerging today, and what the future says prophetically, Israel gives the Jewish people a home to which they can go in their time of trouble. And God is going to finish things up for all of us with them there in that land. I think we take this for granted because it's happened a few years ago, and we've forgotten. You know, and I know, and have known so many of the main characters who were alive and accessible to us of how Israel came back. Israel won wars that they shouldn't have won. They promised to stay in that land And the people who are returning to that land, the people who came from the Holocaust, weary, bedraggled, battered, had a home to go to. That's one of the great aspects of history in your day and mine, and we can thank God with every breath for it.
0: Now, Elwood, I've noticed that you've never backed off the plan that you needed to present Jesus Christ as the true Messiah to your Jewish friends. You do believe Each Jew needs to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and
2: Savior, don't you? Uh, Yes, I do. And as a matter of fact, one of the mistakes that is made sometimes by our well-intentioned friends is that they have to minimize, not speak even, of Jesus Christ and the need of Jewish people to come to Christ as Savior and recognize him as Messiah. We have never backed off from that. And what I've found, Jimmy, and I know you found this as well, you are not diminished before Jewish people by standing for Christ and the loving invitation for them to know him as the Messiah. It has never hindered my relationship to Jewish people, Jewish leaders, Jewish prime ministers, nor yours, and the people who fear to To make that clear, the Jewish people understand, largely, or you can make them to understand who we are, what we stand for, what the options for eternity are, and do it lovingly and through the grace that God can give us as Christian believers, you don't have to apologize for being a Christian when the hope of our faith is in Jesus Christ and all the world needs him, Jew and Gentile.
0: Amen and amen on that. Elwood, for 29 years, Judy and I have lived a portion of each and every year, most of the time, much of the entire year, there in Jerusalem, helped to start a church and have a ministry, an outreach ministry to Jewish people. But I've received almost more blessing from them than they have from me. I've always said, and I want to conclude our conversation together with this thought, let me know what you think. Touching a Jew is like touching the hand of God, and it's been such a blessing for them to bless each and every one of us as we come in contact with them. Would you agree with that?
2: Yes, a hundred percent, Jimmy. I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. The blessing that comes from associating, knowing Jewish people, from seeing the Word of God lived out in the context of the culture of Judaism and the, the Jew. Uh, Jimmy, there's no substitute for that. And the Christians who are not aware of that have been spiritually, unfortunately, deprived of the fullness of what Christ has for us. So we can say today, thank God, that God has given us these people, and yes, yes, yes. When you touch the Jewish person, you touch the hand of God.
0: (laughs) That's an absolute. He is who he said he is and will do what he said he would do. What an assurance, a blessed assurance that we have in these troublesome times. Elwood, thank you for your life so very much. Thank you for the friendship you've allowed me to have. And thank you for this conversation. I appreciate it. Hope it will bless the people as we think about the times in which we're living.
2: Thank you, Jimmy.
0: What a blessed conversation with my dear friend, Dr. Elwood McQuaid, and I hope and pray that as you think about the Jewish people, have contact with them. You'll realize that God does have a plan, an eternal plan, for each and every Jew. You can play a role in that by introducing any Jew and every Jew you come in contact with, with the true Messiah, the person Jesus Christ. Well, as I mentioned before we started talking with Elwood, I said that I look at the Jewish people, and then I look up in the heavenlies at the stars, and I get such a joy, especially when I see the stars and the moon, maybe up the same evening. It just blesses my heart to realize what the Lord has done. It gives me a focus on him. It helps me to understand he is real. Something like this, the stars in the heavenlies, which we'll find out more about in a moment with Don, did not just happen to be there. Dr. Don DeYoung, he's a scientist. He is a teacher, professor in a university, recently retired. He travels all over the country speaking. He has a book entitled, Astronomy and the Bible. I have it right here in my hand. It's packed full of questions and answers. And I want to tell you, I'm somewhat of a very amateur astronomer, but I've enjoyed it so much I get excited about it. It's more personal than it is really gaining the knowledge from astronomy. It's just a joy for me to see the glory of the Lord when I look up into the heavenlies. Don, thank you so much for joining me. I'm hoping we're going to have a a real pleasant conversation and encourage people as
6: we talk. Jimmy, glad to join you.
0: I know that the Lord Jesus Christ, who created everything, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, by him were all things created, said simply four words, and the stars also. Was that not amazing? That was in a 24-hour day on that fourth day of creation when he spoke the stars into existence.
6: Yes, Jimmy, the stars also is a majestic statement. After all, that is the the vast majority of the physical creation, the heavens above us.
0: Talk to me about how many stars he did create, and then how many galaxies there are out there.
6: Well, certainly the number of stars is beyond uh, what we can uh, number. But what we have been able to photograph, and then with um, statistics come up with some numbers, We know that uh, we live in a galaxy called the Milky Way. These are uh, whirlpools of stars. They're like islands that God has spread across the universe. Our Milky Way holds on the order of 100 billion stars. That would be one followed by 11 zeros. Mm. Then in addition to that, the very same number for galaxies that we've seen, 100 billion also, So then when you add up the grand total of all the observed stars in all the galaxies, we end up with a number one followed by 22 zeros, a number beyond, of course, what we can comprehend.
0: And for sure, I cannot tell you what that number is, but it is awesome as you think about it and what God has done. And Jesus said it in four words, and the stars also. Wow.
6: Yes, the work of his fingers, he uh, just spread them across the sky.
0: And that was so beautiful to be able to look in the evening sky at those stars and the moon. And in the daytime, of course, the sun, all of that done on one 24-hour day, that fourth day of creation. Don, this is a young universe. I want you to explain that. Some people may not quite understand what we're talking about. We hear the scientists talking about millions and billions of years. We're talking about a young universe, aren't we not?
6: Well, yes, we are, Jimmy. The universe is certainly vast in size. The stars go on and on into deep space. However, when you take Scripture literally, when you add up the uh, the times and the genealogies in the book of Genesis, you end up with a world and a universe that is on the order of some thousands of years old, not millions or billions. And so it's a challenge to keep separate in our mind the idea from a vast universe in size, but a young universe in age. I believe when God uh, made those stars on uh, on day four... Uh, he made them with their light thoroughly spread out. The whole idea of a creation that was fully functioning, that was uh, mature. Adam and Eve, the very first evening, could have gone out and seen the very stars that we see. There was not a long time needed for that starlight to come across space. The, the light was created with the stars so that immediately the universe could be seen. Don,
0: you individually, how did you get interested in astronomy and and looking at the stars, learning about the stars, and being able to teach others about these beautiful creatures that the Lord brought into existence?
6: Well, Jimmy, I was in school, both high school and college years, back in the 1960s, and that was the beginning of the whole space program and the competition of space. That was the Apollo project, the mission to the moon, and uh, many of my generation were caught up with with that excitement and that drama of the whole area of exploring space, and so I've just continued with that uh, interest. Also, when I began teaching at a Christian college, I realized that astronomy was just a natural. It's just a good science study for students. It encourages um, looking at the universe as well as looking at God's Word. You know, astronomy is an area of science that's been around since the beginning. I'm sure even Adam and Eve looked at the sky. And uh, whereas things change on the Earth, geology is new, zoology is new, astronomy has always been up there, and we see the stars pretty much as those Old Testament patriarchs did as well. So it's just a wonderful part of God's creation.
0: I hope that uh, people eavesdropping on the conversation between us are getting excited about possibly becoming amateur astronomers as well, wanting to study the stars, the moon, and the sun, everything in the heavenlies. I have your book right here. We mentioned it a little bit earlier, Astronomy and the Bible, Questions and Answers by Don De Young. Talk to me. How would you suggest somebody might get interested in doing astronomy, studying it, just looking at the stars. How would you give them a start in that type of activity?
6: Well, Jimmy, that book that you mentioned, uh, Paperback with 100 Questions and Answers uh, on, on Space, I also put in the back of that book four star charts, like a map of the, of the night sky. And so that would be a good place to get familiar with what's overhead on, on, a, on a clear night. Meanwhile, uh, there are interesting things happening these days. Just four years from now, uh, 2024, we have another total eclipse of the sun. The path is going to move across the country, and so that'd be interesting to, uh, to read up on that and prepare for uh, uh, something like an eclipse, so predictable as it's established. There are interesting websites that talk about uh, where to see the planets and eclipses and comets. So it's, uh, it's a hobby that's not expensive. It's uh, It's above all of our you know, above us, if you can get into a a night sky, it's a wonderful hobby.
0: You know, I love what you just said about the fact that uh, it's so predictable. I know I look up at those stars and I say, well, thank you, Jesus. That one was to be there right this moment, and it's exactly where you put it some 6,000 years ago. I mean, isn't that amazing? It's so predictable. It helps us to understand the predictability of the Lord himself. And in fact, the skies, according to Psalm 19, declare the glory of the Lord. That's just the reward we get for being amateur astronomers, isn't it?
6: Well, that's true, Jamie. In a world of change, uh, the heavens are an encouragement to us that God uh, runs the whole system And uh, he's certainly still in charge. And, Jimmy, even something like the sun, so regular in its light day after day, and the light of all the stars as well. They do what's called nuclear fusion, something that we have not been able to control well on the Earth. But God runs that whole system as well in his uh, wonderful universe. We know we've had the fall and we've had problems on Earth, but you can still see God's glory shining through it all.
0: Psalm 19, the glory of the Lord is declared in the heavens. What a a wonder amateur activity, but a blessed, blessed activity for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, love him, and rely upon each and everything he says. Don, what a joy to be able to have a conversation with you about the stars and how the Lord has used them down through the years to accomplish his own plans. And indeed, those plans are still in place and going to be just like the stars in their place each and every night. Thank you, my good friend. Thank you for your book. We'll have another conversation down the road.
6: Thank you, Jimmy. Till next time.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, one more broadcast partner. We're going to be focusing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ with David James. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. In fact, we've been here trying to keep away from coronavirus. Maybe you're in the same situation. We want you to remember you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. We have some great prices on our materials that you would be able to order and study when you have this time for studying the prophetic word of God. And do remember my YouTube channel. This will assist you in being able to listen to some of the teaching materials we've put up on the YouTube channel, including the prophecy moment. That's YouTube.com forward slash prophecy today. Want to remind you about my poll question just before we get to my conversation with David James. It's on the home page of Prophecy Today on the left hand column. In Revelation one eighteen, Jesus said I am he that was alive and dead, and now stand before you alive. Then in verse 19, John is told to write down those things which were, which are, and which shall be hereafter. By the statements of Jesus, do you believe that he is the cornerstone of our salvation and knows the future for us? He knows the prophetic plan for all saved people. That's our poll question. Go to the website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to this microphone David James. It's a weekly occasion when David and I get together and have a conversation about an issue confronting the body of Christ that needs to be discussed from a biblical perspective. That's what we're going to do this week as well as David comes to the broadcast table. David, earlier in the week, we received an encouraging email from a listener out there in Nevada, and she also included a nice article that she wrote in the context of the coronavirus crisis. Talk to us about that email.
5: Sure. Well, this lady has actually corresponded with me a few times, and I know she's a regular listener from that correspondence, and she has told me that you, Jimmy, you've been one of her main prophecy teachers. And uh, when she wrote back in September, the first time she wrote, she said she has been praying for both you and me and our ministry. So that was very nice. We appreciate that. And One of the main things she dealt with in the article was her understanding of God's plan through the ages. And in another email she sent after the one that I sent you, she mentioned that she had been watching my teaching of that course at our conference in Chattanooga back in December. It was encouraging to me that she has a clear, and I would say a biblical understanding, understanding of what's still ahead for the Church and for Israel and for the world and God's prophetic plan. You know, Jimmy, we're probably more likely to hear from someone if they don't agree with us, and, and that's totally fine. But it's also nice to know when we've had a part in helping someone to understand the Bible. And I would say in light of our topic today, I also wanted to mention that she began her article by talking about being older in the midst of this pandemic, and she said she's more sure than ever she's ready to be with the Lord if things would turn out that way.
0: What a blessing that email was for both you and me, David, and praise the Lord for a sweet listener like that who would, number one, write us, but number two, be reaching out, teaching her own prophetic truth as well. That's great. Well, that does bring us then directly to our main topic for today, David, the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if it were not, for his resurrection, we would have no hope of our own resurrection or the joy of being with the risen Savior forever. What a joy that is.
6: And
5: that's absolutely right, Jimmy. Jesus is our living hope. You know, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, uh, Paul says, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. If Jesus weren't alive and if he had not risen from the dead, then we would not have this hope. And in fact, when Paul wrote his first letter to the believers in Corinth, He had to deal with that very issue because some of the Church were apparently denying or at least doubting the resurrection. And in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he wrote, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. For if the dead do not rise, and Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And we know that the Sadducees denied the resurrection, and the Greeks also thought it was a foolish notion, and we even see that in the book of Acts when Paul was in Athens, because he was mocked by some when he brought up the resurrection of Christ and his message there. And of course, there are many today who deny the physical resurrection of Christ, even some who identify as Christians, and amazingly, including some pastors and theologians as well.
0: Yeah, let's uh, just stop to think about those who deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ just for a moment. I'm sure that many of us have run into these skeptics. David, what are some things to keep in mind that would help us to give a reason for the hope that we have as believers concerning the resurrection?
5: Well that verse that you actually referenced or paraphrased the part of it that's from 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 where Peter wrote sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and in it. The Greek word that's translated as defense in the New King James and answer in the King James Version, uh, that's the word we get apologetics from in English. Now, that doesn't mean to apologize in the sense of saying you're sorry, but rather it means to defend what you believe. And I would say there are at least three different areas we can use to defend the fact that Jesus really did arise from the dead on the third day after he was executed on a Roman cross. And those three areas would be historical, Reasons, logical reasons, and biblical reasons. So let me deal with a couple of the historical reasons first. First, I would say that while there are always skeptics, no one who is familiar and honest with the historical record, I'm talking about the secular historical record, not just the biblical one, no one who takes those seriously and who's honest doubts that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. And second, not only did Jesus live, there are a number of sources outside the Bible that mention his crucifixion, with one of the earliest being the well-known historian Flavius Josephus, who lived from around 37 to the year 100 of the first century. And third, no one ever survived Roman crucifixion, meaning that Jesus would have really died and been buried And so there would have been a historical record of that, and we have that both outside and inside the
0: Bible. Okay, so you've covered the historic facts that we would deal with as far as it relates to the resurrection. Let's take a moment and think about the logical reasons. David, do you think it makes sense logically for someone to deny the resurrection of Christ from the dead?
5: Well, no, I don't really think it makes logical sense to deny the resurrection for a number of reasons. First, uh, let's think about the dramatic change in the disciples from the before the resurrection to afterward. From Jesus' arrest through the trials that happened during the night, the disciples were afraid to the point that Peter, one of the three in Jesus' inner circle, denied him three times and even lied about knowing him. Then between the crucifixion and the resurrection, their fear deepened, and they went into hiding. But after the resurrection, everything changed to the point that 50 days after the crucifixion, on the day of Pentecost, Peter publicly preached the first message of the Church Age from the steps of the temple in Jerusalem. Second, neither the Jewish leaders nor the Roman authorities wanted to accept that the rightful king of the Jews had come back to life after his execution. And all that anyone would have had to have done to debunk the claims was to produce the body, and no one did. So that also serves as an historical reason as well. And third, in the first few years of uh, the church, the majority of the early Christians were ethnically Jewish, and yet the day of gathering together for fellowship, for study, and for worshiping the Lord, that shifted from the Sabbath to the first day of the week. There has to be a reason for that. Finally, I would say this. If the disciples stole the body, why would they and others, like Stephen, for example, the first martyr, why would they die for what they do to be alive? You know, seriously, Jimmy, only a crazy person dies for a story that they know for a fact is not true.
0: Yes, that's absolute. Well, for those of us, David, who believe the truth of the Word of God, the biblical reasons would be the most important. David, would you not say at least some biblical reasons are also historic and logical reasons as well?
5: Without a doubt. You know, the scriptures are historical documents, and in fact, there are thousands more copies of them than any other comparably old literary work. And also, I would say that while faith involves more than logic, it doesn't contradict logic, and it's never less than logic. So let's first think about the Crucifixion. This was described by King David around 800 years before it was even invented as a method of execution. In Psalm 22, he wrote concerning Jesus, who was the son of David, is one of his titles. David wrote, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me they pierced my hands and my feet i can count all my bones they look and stare at me the resurrection was recorded by all four gospel writers and among them was luke who was not only a doctor but he was an historian who carefully researched everything he wrote about then in Acts chapter 9, we see Saul of Tarsus encountering the risen Savior. He went from being a mortal enemy of Christians to the foremost missionary, church planner, and theologian of the first century. And he suffered greatly for what he did for this change, including an attempted execution by stoning. How do we explain that if Jesus wasn't really alive? Then in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul offers the historical and logical argument that the resurrected Christ was seen by as many as 500 people at one time, so there were eyewitnesses who would have been from all over the known world at that time. And and there are many other things we could talk about, but another important one is that contrary to cultural norms of the day, the gospel writers use the testimony of women as an apologetic for the resurrection. This doesn't make any sense at all if it didn't really happen.
0: Yes, I agree 100%. David, because of the present pandemic, it's probably safe to say that the majority of believers around the world will not be gathering together to celebrate the resurrection this weekend. But that doesn't really take anything away from the hope the resurrection brings, especially in the midst of life's difficulties.
5: You're absolutely right, Jimmy. You know, although there are signs that we may be reaching a turning point in this crisis, many people are still suffering. Many have lost jobs. Many have lost loved ones. And the uncertainty of the coming weeks and months, we still don't know what's going to happen. And it can be unnerving for some. But we have hope. And even when faced with death, as believers in Jesus Christ, we may grieve, but not as those who have no hope, As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as he begins speaking about the rapture and the resurrection, we have the hope of forgiven sin on the basis of Christ's death in our place. He took the punishment we deserve for our sins against the Holy God. And we have the sure hope of eternal life, which includes our own resurrection because of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. We receive forgiven sin and eternal life through faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. He offers that salvation as a free gift of God's grace, and a gift can never be earned. It can only be received, and it's received by faith and faith alone. We can't live a life that's good enough to deserve salvation. We don't gain forgiven sin and eternal life through baptism or regularly attending church or being a kind and generous person or a good parent or a good friend or neighbor. Paul said we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift not through works, lest anyone should boast. And in that we rest our hope,
0: our blessed hope. You know, I'd love what Jesus said himself. Revelation chapter one, verse 18. I am he that was alive, dead, and now stand before you alive. And then the next verse, he tells John the revelator, write down what's going to happen in the future. So he's not only the cornerstone of our faith, but the foundation for understanding the prophetic truth and God's plan for the future. David, great conversation. Boy, how can you beat talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That's just the best. And thank you so much for making preparations for our conversation. I believe we'll be able to have another one next week, should the Lord willing and the rapture not take place.
5: I'll look forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks a lot.
0: You're certainly welcome, good friend. Be well, as we'll endeavor to do the same thing. We're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, I'll open up the Bible. We'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Once we've had a conversation with our broadcast partners, then we accumulate everything they had to say and align it with what God's prophetic word says that the end-time scenario will be. We study Bible prophecy first, let it be a light upon all current events to see if indeed They fit what the Word of God calls for in the end times. You know, these reports on current events from our broadcast partners are key to those of us who study Bible prophecy. I love these men. They are faithful to what they tell us as the truth, no fake news in the reports from our broadcast partners. And then as we align their reports with the prophetic word of God, we see where we are in God's time. For example, today we talked with Ken Timmerman. Ken was in southern France, and he gave us his report. In addition to that, he talked about his brand new book, Election Heist, which is now available for pre-order at Ken's website. That would be KenTemmerman.com, or you can go to Amazon.com and purchase the book, A Pre-Order Purchase. But when we were talking with Ken, he gave us a report about the supreme leader of Iran who was thanking the coming imam, uh, the 12th imam who is going to appear and be the Mahdi, That's Arabic for the Messiah, who is going to come, go to Jerusalem, set up a worldwide caliphate, a kingdom. Well, the supreme leader today is thanking this coming imam, the Mahdi, for protection from the coronavirus. I'm not sure how much of the news coming out of Iran is fake or not fake. You know, the Iranians have been kept safe even though they're doing crazy things like going to some of the holy towns in Iran to holy buildings and literally licking the building. They may say the Mahdi, the coming imam, the messiah in Iranian eschatology— is coming. He is not, I can tell you for sure. That update, though, helps us to understand how they are making preparations and could strike out in a full-fledged war against the enemies of Iran there in the Middle East, also over in the European Union, and possibly reaching to the United States. David Dolan gave us a presentation of how Passover and Resurrection Sunday would be played out this year in Israel. He told us the streets are empty, uh, the mosque, the synagogues, and the churches are going to be closed in the holy city for this holy week. The only thing that's normal is the politics. And David updated us on the fact that Prime Minister Netanyahu is sitting with the opposition party leader, Benny Gantz, and they're endeavoring to try to form an emergency unity government. They hope they can do this after the Passover has been completed, and that will be very key for the future of the Jewish state of Israel. John Root is the man who covers the European Union for us. He talked about an agreement of 500 million euros to rescue the European Union from the coronavirus pandemic. It still is, however, setting up the fact that the EU's single currency, the euro, could collapse. And in fact, you'll need a single currency for the European Union to be the infrastructure of the revived Roman Empire. Whether it all falls apart at this time or not, God's plan will be fulfilled. His word, his prophetic word, is absolute. Then we had the privilege and honor to be able to talk with two Christian statesmen. We talked with Dr. Elwood McQuaid. He's an author. He is a teacher of the prophetic word of God and has a focus on the Jewish people. Just having a conversation with Elwood helped me as I myself think about the Jewish people as absolute tangible proof that God is who he said he is and would do what he said he would do, send his son to give us eternal life, and then to take us at the rapture of the church into the heavenlies. That was a great conversation with Elwood. Then Don Young, my namesake but not any kin that we know of, talked about the stars, and he reminded us that in four words, and the stars also, he was able to reveal the stars, the 100 billion stars in 100 billion galaxies, and how they convey his glory. This was a special treat to have this conversation with these men. David James and I had a conversation about the resurrection, helping us to understand historically, logically, and biblically, we have the proof of the resurrection. All of these reports can be heard at my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, there you can hear them, and then be sure to tell a friend. By the way, just quickly, let me go through in the last couple of moments that Passover is the celebration of the exodus of the Jewish people out of the Egyptian bondage into freedom in the promised land. Unleavened bread talked about separation from the bondage to freedom, and first fruits, which is the third of the spring feast there in Leviticus 23, helped us to remember the harvest, the first harvest to be brought to the tabernacle or then the temple when they were worshiping in the temple. I hasten to remind you that Jesus Christ actually fulfilled all the prophetic significance of these first three feasts. Jesus Christ held the Passover with his disciples on Wednesday evening, actually Thursday, according to the Jewish day, and then his death took place as recorded in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 45 on Passover. Christ was buried on unleavened bread, that's Matthew 27, verses 57 to 60, and then on first fruits, and that would be the morrow after the Sabbath, in other words, the Sunday resurrection took place. Jesus Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 15, is indeed our resurrection. He proved who he was and can do what he said he would do. His promise is that the rapture, will take place. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now listen. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I shall come again and receive you unto myself. That's the rapture of the church. That's our blessed hope, his glorious appearing. And that rapture actually could happen even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say,
3: except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.